but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is our mid-US Open 2021 recap. Yeah. It Correct. is 2021. Correct. Yeah. Are you prepared to say, as so many have, that the tennis at this tournament has exceeded expectations? Yeah. I mean you're My expectations were extremely low, to be fair. Right, but you are Mr. Dower Sour 24-7 all the time when it comes to these things. Everything is crap. That's true. Um, no, I mean, the, it was undoubtedly a very exciting first week. Like, there, mm -hmm. you can't really argue with that. Nobody was really talking about the big names who were missing. It, That's there true. There was a, just a lot of, uh, there were some new faces, people who've been hyped for a long time coming through. But also people who have been hyped and progressively getting better, continuing to get better. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen many wow that came out of the blue moments just like okay y'all are leveling up yes so do i think it's the best first week like ever i have no idea we'd, I, have, we'd have no way to reference <laughs> right. because but we i've barely been seeing that too you know we barely remember things that happened two weeks ago so uh, yeah i did find it interesting something that francis tiafo said after his match against felix last night that uh folks are just kind of frothing at the mouth in the locker room I mean, that, that was his, those were his words. He said oh, frothing. Okay. Uh, with the opportunity with all these big names out, with no Roger, no Rafa, he's like, will, would Andres Seppi be out here killing himself in these matches if he were playing a, a second round against Djokovic? No, he's what, he's like, he's what, 37, 39 years old? What is he doing? It's crazy. <laughs> like the guys in the locker room sense an opportunity and they're really putting their best foot forward. According to mm. him. Him being one of them, too, I presume. Yeah. Francis came close to reaching a second slam quarterfinal. His first was at Australia a few years ago. But this is, you know, altogether a step in the right direction for him. Kind of a return to some of his best. And actually, he's played, I think, better than his previous best. Mm. And this also was not an invitation to mm -hmm. talk about Francis. Like, this is how you get ahead of yourself with the agenda. Yeah, yeah. So the natural pivot was to then go to the very first day because that was crazy. Yeah. And it was really like the day session mm -hmm. more than anything. It was really some of the most high profile matches you're going to see on a day one. And some of these folks who went to tennis on that Monday saw all of that for six dollars. $6. It was the biggest uh, yes. deal in the history of tennis. Those resale prices were plummeting after the vaccine announcement. But first up on Ash, 2017 finalist Madison Keys versus Sloane Stevens. This was actually a very good match. And Madison, for a long stretch of the match, was the better player. But Sloane has, I mean, they've played many times. And it almost seems like Sloane was kind of waiting for maddie to do those maddie things right make errors at key junctures i mean i i hesitate to say she was the better player because that's how sloan wins that match it's a tactic mm, yeah. right madison is the one who has to dictate through her sheer through her nature right that's just always going to be the way yeah. that match goes the way it's dictated and sloan's strengths are that of a counter puncher to absorb Maddie's best, and by default, looking like she's not the aggressor, not in control of the match. Around the same time as that match, we had Muguruza Vekic going to two tie breaks. Of course, Tsitsipas Murray was right after uh, Madison and Sloan on Ash. We are going to talk about that in detail later on. Halep Georgie was one of the first rounds that I was looking at. Georgie came in here as the champion in Canada had much better momentum than Halep, and I felt that was a really impressive match from Simona. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would agree, given everything that she's been through recently. Kerber beat Yastremska in a first-round match. Like, just when you thought the day was crazy, it got crazier 
with Kerber Yastremsko. Uh, Kerber had lost the first set of that match and was down a break in the third set. You talked about matchups being disrespectful when the draws came out. We didn't talk about the draws after qualifiers were placed. Yeah, yeah, we were early. And so Chris Eubanks qualified and he was drawn to play who? <laughs> Francis Tiafo. Friend, countryman, took him to four sets. Francis did pull that one out. But that was quite the achievement for Chris to get to the US Open main draw. Sucks that he couldn't get like some budget qualifier. Oh, that sounds that sounds really disrespectful. Wow, that's so rude. No, but there you, were you some know what I mean. qualifier qualifier matchups, you right. know. Or like somebody struggling. You know, how many times does a player like Chris get to be in the main draw of a Grand Slam at this stage of his career? I would have loved to have seen him get an easier draw and be able to win a round or two. You know, mm-hmm. get that money, get get those points. The Tsitsipas Mari match was the one that really had everybody talking that day. Yes, five sets. Uh, it drew more attention, really, for obviously Bathroom Gate. Mm-hmm. It set off a theme for the first week of the US, of the U.S. Open, one of scamming. Yeah, some scamming, uh, a lot of monitoring of gamesmanship in the mainstream press, a lot of bathroom clocks uh, informally on the broadcast networks. This was the best thing that ever happened to that guy. Oh, it certainly was. Because it took... We were saying, like, where is he going to hide at this tournament? Because where are the stories? What are the stories that's going to usurp what's going on with him and the story that just came out in Slate magazine? And look, it's a Grand Slam. Something's always going to be concocted to be the runaway narrative of week one. And folks chose for it not to be that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the the broadcast networks will make sure that a few years ago, match fixing is talked about in every moment of the broadcast week in the first week. Um, we can't do that anymore because betting is all over tennis. Exactly. But they'll, they'll pick a theme and that's pretty much the theme of the week or sometimes the whole tournament, Serena's catsuit, you know, like all these zeitgeisty things. But when it's something as serious as intimate partner violence allegations, we barely hear a peep. It's like, well, we'll pick that one spot in the coverage. Well, we hope he loses so we don't have to deal with it. But we'll pick that one spot to maybe give it two minutes and then we've done what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. So TSN spoke about it. I think ITV in the UK. Uh, In the US, it's like, well, let's just let Mary Carrillo do her thing over on the app. You know, Mm -hmm. not the main broadcast ESPN. On the world feed, but not on the main ESPN feed. Mm. So we'll get back to that a little bit later. A couple of interesting matches, notable matches from week one, and then we'll get into the matches that are left, where we are in the tournament, and then talk about some of those thematic things, those big picture things that happened in week one. Mm-hmm. Because we are we are not a daily podcast during slams, that's not what we do, and we tend even outside of slams to do the, the macro rather than the micro, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we cannot talk about every great match. And just because we omitted something doesn't mean that we didn't like it or mm-hmm. didn't appreciate it. So I will say that I, it's been a long time in this tournament since somebody I wanted to win won a match. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> wow. Amidst all this excitement and you're just like... I'm Bleh. not saying it's still not great tennis. I'm just saying it's been a lot of misses for me with the with the winners yeah well we're gonna need uh mateo to win this match we're currently watching as we mm-hmm. record that's how you'll know where we are right now <laughs> yeah mateo is currently up two sets to one and Atta is serving at one all 40 50 he had just taken a tumble Atta mm-hmm. took a tumble there were some sizable upsets in the first week of course leila fernandez from canada beating naomi osaka on the uh, the eve or two days before her 19th birthday. And Layla goes on to notch another big upset, beating Angelique Kerber two days later. Mm-hmm. This is clearly a story of folks hatching and snatching at this tournament. We have three <laughs> hatchers and snatchers in chief. Mm-hmm. We have Layla Fernandez, we have Carlos Alcaraz, and we have Emma Raducanu. Yes, so these are youngsters all of whom have been pretty highly hyped. 
And uh, I mean, Emma is the one who's been around for the least amount of time on big stages. Mm -hmm. And her first two Grand Slam performances this year are just so impressive. We've known of the others a little bit longer, but she's done the most in the shortest period of time. Right. And she's made the transition from juniors to pro with the most rapidity in terms of getting the slam results. Mm -hmm. That Friday schedule was crazy because it had uh, Shelby Rogers beating Ash Barty. It had that Francis Tiafo-Andre Rublev match, which, you know, Francis is such a superstar. Like, he's such a showman. I don't know how he pulled out that fifth set 6-1 after losing the fourth, but we were treated to Felix and Francis because of that win. Carlos Alcaraz, he beat Stefano Tsitsipas. And Tsitsipas said that's the hardest he's ever had somebody hit the ball against him. Yeah. Alcaraz is 18 years old, and uh, to have that kind of power at 18 years old is kind of wild. I see you have there Pliskova and Isimova. Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorite matches of the first week. It was mine. The favorite? Well, yeah. I mean, I know why you liked it. You Mm. love, you love the boom, boom, boom. Yes. First strike, big babe tennis, the ball bashers. But when it's done this well, it's so exciting to watch. And good for Anisimova because she'd been struggling for a while. She had injury. She had COVID. Her year was completely stalled. And she shows up at her home slam and she shows out against Pliskova. And it looked that she had all the momentum. It was close in that third set, but it looked like she had the momentum from the ground. Pliskova was serving out of her mind something like 24 aces. Oh my God, yeah. But you got the sense that should they get into a ground stroke battle, that's where she would have the distinct advantage late in that third set. And credit to Pliskova, she pulled it out. I said in the preview episode, this tournament is the prime opportunity for Pliskova to get that first Grand Slam title. And it still is. And you know what happens when top players survive a second round scare at a Grand Slam. Cough, cough, 2018 Australian Open, Caroline Wojniacki. <laughs> in that match, uh, Amanda was really the stronger player off the ground in that third set. It looked, for a moment, it looked like Pliskova is going to hit 25 aces, have a very clean stat sheet, and still lose. She barely, you know, it, she it barely was almost, had any unforced errors. <laughs> it was a really high-quality match. And, uh, you know, Amanda mentioned afterward, I think she tweeted about missing her dad a lot. Especially after a loss like that. She wanted to do it for him Mm. and that she hoped she made him proud. Like that stuff just just tugs at your heartstrings, right? Yeah. And it's really hard to to imagine like how fundamental that loss is for anyone. But for her as a tennis player, like how does it cloud the way she views the sport? Because he was so integral in her career and her development. So how do you go back and look at the sport the same way? I mentioned that Alcaraz beat... Uh, Tsitsipas, we had on the same day two 18-year-olds taking out the number three seeds on the men's side and the women's side. We had Carlos taking out Tsitsipas, and then we had Leila Fernandez taking out Naomi Osaka. That Those are two seismic losses to the top of both draws. It's not exactly a changing of the guard because the, uh, <laughs> the top players who lost are also very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but... seismic to this draw, not like... Yeah, yeah. But Naomi, uh, you know, it was hard to tell what to expect coming in here, but she was the defending champ. She won the other hardcourt major this year in Australia. She says she might take some time away from the sport. I don't think that's such a bad idea. Things are not all right with Naomi at the moment. No, she teared up at the end of her press conference after she lost that match when she was speaking to Japanese press and said, I don't know when I will play my next tennis match. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that might be for the best. There's a strange thing that happens in tennis. We get wind that somebody's going to be absent at a tournament. And we think it's going to be the most earth-shattering loss to the event. But the tour moves on. It always moves on. This U.S. Open has moved on without Federer, Nadal, Serena, Venus, Favrinka, a whole bunch of top names. The tour will move on without Naomi Osaka while she gets some peace of mind. In good news, at least two Canadians will be in the quarterfinals, possibly three. 
So Felix and Fernandez have already booked their spots. Andreescu has to win tonight against Sakari to get to the quarters. Uh, surprisingly, none of those three people is Denis Shapovalov, having lost in straight sets to Lloyd Harris. Maybe surprising to you. It's certainly not surprising to me. <laughs> I told you at the start of the tournament, I said that this dude has been struggling since Wimbledon. He won a couple of rounds here and then Lloyd Harris, who had beaten Rafa earlier in the summer, he's backed it up with a quarterfinal run. That's the, that's very uncharitable of me to be like, oh, I picked it. I sort of like, but you know, I'm like just saying. Like you picked Lloyd Harris I'm just saying, to don't reach the quarterfinals? Speak, I'm saying don't speak for both of us with the Dennis <laughs> surprise because I, I legitimately wasn't. We can't leave this section of upsets in the first week without talking about the number one seed on the woman's side. Yeah. The, so the, I mentioned Ash Barty had lost to Shelby Rogers. I mean, you said it in, in passing, mm-hmm. but the top player in the women's tour the entire year, five titles, six finals, coming off the win at Cincy, coming off the win at Wimbledon. Ash Barty just did not get the job done in her fifth meeting against Shelby Rogers this year. This year. This year, just like mm-hmm. Pliskova and Pegula. Like, these two <laughs> are just destined to meet at tournaments. Uh-huh, and... You know, it seems like the two are friends. Ash predictably had a, a, not blasé, but just like a, oh, well, kind of attitude about it. Like, you just were better than me today. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure she's probably flying back to Australia to be with family at the moment. I enjoyed Shelby Rogers' words after that match. She was in complete appreciation of Ash Barty, who she is, what she's done this year, being away from home for eight months. As we know, you can't just fly in and out of Australia. So Ash was on tour for the long haul. And during that time, as Shelby said, she dealt with injuries, rehabbed those injuries on the road, had no home base, and was still able to put out the year that she has so far. And let's be real, like you play somebody five times in one year, it's reasonable that you should win one of them. Unless you're (laughs) Richard Gasquet against Mm -hmm. one of the big three. And... Shelby Rogers is no chump. Quite a few of those matches that she lost to Ash were close. I mean, this is not a surprise by any means. No, and she occasionally does get these really big wins because she is a big hitter. But she said, like, I gave everything on the court against Ash. And unfortunately, she didn't have much to give against Radakanu today. No, because that was, um, that was a shellacking. Yeah. So moving into these round of 16 matchups... Raducanu beat Rogers today. Raducanu is only the third women's qualifier to reach the quarters here in the open era. Oh, I see you have here Raducanu like BVDZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what we're going with here rather <laughs> like, than the, the whole pronunciation? No, like Botik van de Jean Schoep. Okay. He is the third men's qualifier to reach the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. Belinda Bencic beat Iga Shontek in two sets. The first was extremely tight, an endless tiebreak that finally ended at 14-12. Bencic looked like she was running away with that first set before seemingly resting rem- momentum back, going up 6-5, and then that endless tiebreak. <laughs> yes. Bencic has been in great form here, as all of the commentators have been talking about. She is a fave. Among the tennis commentariat a class. Fave, a fave to whom? For whom? Oh, the TV people. Okay. She takes the ball very early. She does. She, you know. Great timing. Probably one of the best examples of what she does. Great redirecting. Mm-hmm. Great gowns. Beautiful uh-huh. gowns. Her form is not a fluke. No. I know there no. are folks who are tempted to be thinking that Benchich is filling a vacuum, a void right now. She went to the Olympics with a less than stellar field and she won and she didn't look too bothered doing it. And it seems like she's in similar form playing in a similar vein on a favored surface. This is a former US Open semifinalist, a former Rogers Cup champion. She has the hardcourt prowess and pedigree. She has the skill. One of the skills that she has that separates her from a lot of these players is that she has that super timing and taking the ball early. That can really be a difference maker on the WTA Tour, Mm -hmm. on the surface. she has reached the second week here, I think, three times. Uh, I mean, she's been to the semifinals here. Tonight, we have Pliskova versus Pavlyuchenkova. 
that visa came just in time. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and <laughs> Nastya came prepared. Indeed. It's like she was hitting against the, the back of the plane on her way over. <laughs> She's like, practicing if I'm, I'm going to bust my ass to even get into this country, I'm going to make it worth it. We also have Sakari Andreescu tonight. Uh, much has been made of Andreescu's record at the U.S. Open being 10-0, never having lost a main draw match here. Her competition so far, aside from Golubic, has has not been that great. So let's temper our expectations. And I, as I say this, she'll probably win the whole tournament. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I feel like we're being so fraudulent in that tempering our expectations. No, we're I'm, speaking to the I masses. I mean, temper we, your expectations. We want Sakura to win this match. Let's, <laughs> let, let's not even mess around. Yes. Like, I want one in my win column. Finally. I want Sakura to win this match. Just because we're in Canada doesn't mean we have to right? stand. We love Felix Auger Aliasim. That's the extent of our bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be fraudulent about like standing people just because they're Canadian. They're fine. They're perfectly fine. But like, you know, the bandwidth only has so much. <laughs> Svitolina beat Simona Halep in the fourth round. That that was just a very put together match, very professional. She did the thing. Yeah, it it, it simply was, was not as competitive as expected. Based on the first few games, I thought the match was going to last all day. Okay, and I it mean, Halep is short on matches. Sure, she's dealing. Yeah. She has dealt with injuries that would, even if they're healed, like take some time to recover fully from. Right to get back to optimal like three set three hour fitness mm-hmm. and Svetlina just she was ready so Krejcikova Muguruza maybe the most controversial of the rounds of 16 <laughs> so this was last night Muguruza had been outplayed for the first set and a half she was making a strong comeback mm-hmm. later on in the second set and then um Sloane Stevens was asked about the Tsitsipas situation after one of her matches by Ben Rothenberg. And he cited when she said in Cincinnati a couple of years ago, after her late night match against Yulia Putintseva, if it's not one scam, it's another. And Sloan offered more scamming expertise. She said, oh yeah, they're all scammers <laughs> with respect to Tsitsipas. And then went on to say, like, what are you doing in there so long? Do you need help? I'll come help you. I mean, she was less than charitable. Mm-hmm. To Mr. Tsitsipas. Uh, so we were talking about Krejcikova. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a preamble. This is a preamble. So this match happens on the back of this week-long narrative of people searching out the scam. Trying to identify the scam and prosecute the scammers. This happens. And this also happens after Krejcikova has a checkered history of possible dipping her foot into the scam waters. Mm-hmm. After she had already had an incident with Muguruza, specifically. So Garbina came into this match and this situation with a history with Krejcikova. I watched it. Krejcikova looked to be in serious distress. I'm not here to question that. What I'm here to say, and this is the the threading the needle to get to the matter at hand that we often fail to do collectively... What is the real issue in the middle of this scam discourse? In this particular incident, Krejcikova has an issue. Fine, you go get your nine-minute medical timeout. Garbinia, after resting back momentum from the match, sitting there for nine minutes, comes back on court. She's dealing with that. She's dealing with it. But in the middle of this tiebreak now, at the start of this tiebreak, Garbinia is ready to serve, and you're walking to the back of the court to dry off with the towel and making her wait on each of her serves, mm-hmm. that is not on. No. I am of the firm, immovable position that in that moment, after you've gotten that medical timeout, you've decided to continue on playing, if you cannot play at the server's pace, you simply move from side to side on the baseline. And watch the balls go past you. Watch the balls go past you, wait for your turn to serve, hope that something gets better, And if it doesn't, you go get more medical treatment, hope for better in the third set. Like, that is wild to me that this was not dealt with by the umpire. Muguruza met her at the net at the end of the match, and Krejcikova was 
starting to say she was sorry about the antics, and Muguruza said N that was very unprofessional and just walked away. At some point, you're just fed up because, you know, I don't doubt that she was injured. But again, there is a pattern with certain players who stretch the rules just because the rules are there doesn't mean that they are sporting. Look, the umpire is at fault for not dealing with this and nipping it in the bud. Krichikova is at fault for stretching the limits of what she could get away with within the rules and not be checked. Just mm -hmm. because you can get away with something doesn't mean you should try to get away with something. There's always this siding with the person who is stricken by illness. Like, it's very scary. Like, she couldn't breathe properly. We are choosing to believe her, right? She can't breathe properly. That's scary. But also, there has to be some room for feeling for the person who has brought themselves to this match in optimal physical shape, who has trained for this moment. Mm -hmm. And they can't even get the bare minimum advantage of being able to serve when they want to. Yeah. Like, that's, that's crazy to me. Like, we can have compassion and also work in a decent way. That sounds really cringe when I say that work in a decent <laughs> way. But, like, you know, just be, like, on the up and up. Just be professional. That, yeah. That's it. Like, that's it's that it. simple. Yeah. Sabalenka also beat Mertens. So, Sabalenka is going to play Krejcikova in the quarterfinals. Leila Fernandez is going to play Elena Svitolina. Raducanu is going to play Bencic. And the winner of Pliskova Pavlyuchenkova will play the winner of Sakari Andrescu. On the men's side, round of 16, tonight is Djokovic and Jensen Brooksby. Uh, Berrettini just beat Oscar Atta. The, the German, who's 28 years old, has had a, a kind of outsized presence at the last two slams. He took his countryman Zverev to five sets in Roland Garros. He won his first match at Wimbledon and then took Murray to five sets in the second round. So Berrettini will play the winner of Djokovic-Brooksby. Mm -hmm. I, I like you now, since you mentioned how confusing it is to say his name, I can't get it right now. I keep <laughs> wanting to say Brooksby-Jensen, Brooksby-Kepka. Uh -huh. <laughs> like it's <laughs> Jensen-Brooksby. Uh, Bencic's bestie beat Yannick Sinner today. Lloyd Harris. Another big win takes out American Riley Opelka. If Brooksby loses, there will be no more American standing in either the men's or the women's draws. Harris, like so many others, building on his good form in the summer and early parts of the year. Opelka will be the number one ranked American after this tournament that is secured. Felix Ojeeliasim, he beat Francis Tiafo, and he will play... Carlos Alcaraz in the quarterfinals. An incredible opportunity for each of these guys to make their first slam semifinal. Mm -hmm. This is Felix's second slam quarterfinal and his second straight, having done it at Wimbledon. You know, this match last night was what I've been waiting for. I was so excited to see these two play. It's so rare to see two black men play especially at this stage of a grand slam lately previously in the last decade and a half the all we've had to look forward to is monfis and zonga yeah in this kind of high mm -hmm. stakes round of 16 and beyond kind of match and let's not underestimate the importance of this happening with an american on court on arthur ash two black men young rising stars on the atp on arthur ash it, it was a spectacle it was entertaining. I was entertained, let me tell you, <laughs> yes. in this match. That third set especially. Yes. There's such a contrast. But there's obviously so much respect between the two. They like each other. They get along. But they're so different. Felix has been a bit more animated this week. I think just because he's pumped up. He's probably a little tired. He looks a little loopy at times <laughs> after matches. It's as if but... he discovered a personality. It's like... <laughs> Where did this come from? Right. And Francis obviously is Francis, right? Like, he is Mr. Personality. Uh, he's just... He's also Mr. Badonkadonk. It is sitting, definitely. Uh, the the kit is cut to complement his proportions, I would say. Not just complement, accentuate. <laughs> that Nike went with the red on the back and the blue in the front, as opposed to vice versa. Thank you for that. Mm. There's just so much to love about Francis's game this tournament. Like, it was explosive. 
He seems to be coming to the net much more often. And he's just using uh, a lot of creativity. And I know that people get down on Francis's game sometimes for not always being technically sound. And, like, I don't care. Why? Why do you care? When you get matches like this. And if he can build on this, it's only good news for tennis. Francis may never be a Grand Slam champion. And that's fine. I mean, if he can make third round to quarterfinals and thrill people and entertain people, that's also very good. (laughs) I mean, I would like to see him win a slam, but... Sure, but again, we talked in a previous episode about how we're going to have to readjust the way we view success on the ATP Tour. 2020 is not happening anymore. Right, right. And the people who suffered through 2020 and didn't win, their careers will forever be underappreciated because of it. Mm-hmm. By that, you mean the big three and their slam yes. title hall? Yes, correct. <laughs> so Felix moves on to play Alcaraz, a young guy, a younger guy than him, who's just in kind of mesmerizing form mm-hmm. at the moment. Felix is still only 20. Mm-hmm. Still only 20. Next up. Botik van de Janschulp, uh from the Netherlands beat Diego Schwartzman. He beat Kasper Ruud in the second round. And like I said earlier, he's only the third qualifier on the men's side to reach the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. He has lost the first set in his first six matches at this U.S. Open and won all of them. So through three qualifying matches and three main draw, he lost the first set and then won, which is really impressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, That did not happen against Diego, and it didn't turn out to be a bad sign. He won this match. He's going to have his hands full, period, against Medvedev in the quarterfinals. Yeah, Daniil is kind of sailing through at the moment. Before the tournament started, he was the he was the number two seed, and he was also the presumptive second favorite, and he was also the person most likely and best equipped to beat Novak Djokovic in his quest for a record-breaking 21st Grand Slam title. And nothing we've seen in the first week has undercut that at all. Yeah, so I still believe if anyone is going to do it, it'll probably be him in the final. The quarterfinal matchups, Djokovic or Brooksby will play Berrettini, Zverev will play Harris, Ogeliasim will play Alcaraz, Van der Schanschlup will play Medvedev. Now on to some of the bigger stories that have been floating around uh, the play this week. The story that was poised to dominate the discourse was the allegations against Alexander Zverev, because the part two of Olga Sharipova's story was published in Slate, uh, shortly before the tournament started. Zverev came to his first press conference at the U.S. Open, uh, issuing a a notesap statement and being a really uh, obstructionist with the press. The statement said, in part, The court followed our arguments and states the accusations are defamatory and false. The lawyers have therefore initiated further proceedings against the source and the author. And later on he said this would be the last that he was going to speak on the subject. Now because the the statement was confusing and and mysterious, Mm -hmm. it obviously prompted a lot of questions. And so we're finally getting a lot of questions in press about this subject. It's been a long time coming. The questions are, you know, in which jurisdiction did you go to court? Uh, Which court ruled what? What does it mean that the courts followed your arguments? What does that mean? Are you, when you say further proceedings are going against the source and the author, are you, is the source Olia? Is the source the media outlet slate? Is it Racket Magazine? Are you suing Ben Rothenberg? And again, in which jurisdiction are these things going on? It seems that it's just Germany so far. Right. And so, obviously, not knowing the German legal system very well, the questions I have are, well, what does that mean? Like, has there actually been a hearing on the subject? Did you ask for an injunction? Was an injunction granted, if that is such a thing in Germany? And he seems very poorly equipped to be answering these questions. Mm -hmm. It is shocking that... These accusations have been out for nearly a year now. You come to press with a statement that is obviously crafted by lawyers and or a PR firm. And you're asked questions about it and you are stumped. Like you don't even seem to know what's in the statement. 
Mm -mm. It's like, well, what, what do you mean? I was just very clear. Essentially, the court said I'm innocent. Uh -huh. That's how he presented yeah. it. So if you are pleading the Fifth Amendment, and again, I know that's not a thing in Germany, are you saying you're not answering so you don't incriminate yourself? Because you said it was the last you were going to speak on it, but you're answering follow-up questions here very badly, mind you. I think it's entirely possible that it's complete ignorance brought on by Comfort. a sense of invincibility. Yes. That's what this is. He feels untouchable. And whoever it is that's around him, whether it's his father, his family, his PR team, his coaches, whoever is incubating him, is feeding him these lines of what to say. There's nothing to worry about. Just go about your business. Like, these people are all haters. <laughs> right. Alexander. Oh, they're trying to wipe the smile off your face. Remember exactly. That? But it speaks to how little he has actually been pressed on the issue. All year, German media has been issuing puff pieces... They, you know, some German outlets act basically as a PR arm of the Zverev empire. ESPN has barely made a mention of it in the U.S. The average tennis fan doesn't even know these allegations exist in most countries. I have yet to see a tennis player touch it. But, right. Right? Like, that. that is the craziest part to me. I mean, they've acknowledged that they're aware. Like, some have been asked point blank but obviously people are saying well right but you know, since the second story came mm, out yeah crickets and you wonder if anyone has been instructed uh, on how to answer those questions especially if the atp is trying to create some sort of resolution about uh, a domestic violence policy mm -hmm. at some point what is clear though is that what's been propagated what's been put forth as the response the official company line response to these to the second story is lies lies and lies on top of lies with <laughs> Care maybe careful because maybe they're going to start proceedings against us too maybe some kernels of truth in there because there is no clarity whatsoever you can't just come up here and say the court followed our arguments and states that accusations are defamatory and false Without mm. providing any receipts. Right. Like, why should we take that at, at face value when still yet this camp has not provided any counter receipts at all? Like, we are not here to just take you at face value, sir, at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, so does that mean that Olia's statements have been evaluated by a court of law for their truth? Um, does it mean possibly that the article itself didn't sort of leave room for doubt and the uh, like this story is extremely meticulous in saying allegedly mm -hmm. and she said it like those are the things that will get you in trouble and if you do ask for an injunction they may be successful right if if you fail to do those things mm -hmm. olia issued her own statement on instagram saying like this is crazy i have i'm not aware of any court proceedings i was not brought to court and nothing's been brought to me and said that she is not afraid. She will not be intimidated by this guy. So, uh, you know, we kind of assumed that this story would dominate the news cycle at least for a few days. And the thing is, the <laughs> Zverev saw the Tsitsipas bathroom break thing and saw his opportunity mm -hmm. to deflect, to feed into something sensational that the media were more than happy to cover. And that is, I mean, perfect cover for him. Look at this guy. I've been telling you about Tsitsipas cheating since, uh, what was it, Cincinnati or Canada? That when he went to the bathroom, he was cheating. And so it is just sick because, like, the accusations against Verov are obviously more serious by orders of magnitude. It was so clearly a deflection, mm -hmm. right? And it worked. Zverev, the sad thing is that it worked. <laughs> Zverev has not played Tsitsipas in this tournament. So this game that we see played in press to get quotes where something happens with one person, you ask this person about it. There we go. Right? This is mm -hmm. how it can can really be used in a nefarious way. Yeah. Now let's talk about the gamesmanship accusations against Tsitsipas because I, I do want to kind of draw a line here because... You are allowed to poke fun at this bathroom gate mm -hmm. thing without being accused of soft pedaling on Zverev. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
human beings can hold two thoughts at the same time. You can be mad about two things you can, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You can have varying degrees of anger toward two separate issues. Exactly. You can find so, levity in one and not in the other. You know? Right. Because there were some Tsitsipas fans who were opportunistically saying, how dare you talk about Stefanos when this is going on? And I agree. What is going on with Zverev is disgusting, which we have talked about at length for a year. The fact that Zverev chose to deflect and throw, you know, throw Stefanos under the bus, that was his decision. That doesn't mean we stop talking about both. Mm-mm. Back to back on this agenda. <laughs> right. So Andy Murray, Stefanos Tsitsipas in the first round. Andy was leading two sets to one. Stefanos wins the fourth set, leaves the court for eight, nine minutes. I'm I'm sure there's an exact number out there that most people know, but I can't remember. Andy could well have won that match if he had won the second set. Mm-hmm. That it could was, have been a straight set yeah, win. That was in a tie break. I mean, Andy played incredibly well, especially with his age, his condition, his lack of of consistent wins recently. It's some of the best we've seen him move on a tennis court and for such an extended period since his comeback. And I think a lot of folks were surprised that Murray found himself in that position to be up two sets to one and that he could have won that match in straight sets against the world number three, the current French Open finalist. Like, this is a big result for Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And he gets into that fifth set. Uh, So, Stefanos comes back from the bathroom after a while. And Andy's on the court now waiting. And, you know, Stefanos dawdles and takes his time getting back on the court. So now people are booing. Andy is pissed. And like a dog with a bone, Andy just does not stop bitching about it when you say that I, the, all, all i can think is that's the way love goes like a dog with a bone burned <laughs> by desire <laughs> uh for the entire fifth set he's yelling at the tournament referee on the sidelines in between games and i mean this is andy right there may be some tennis twitter youngsters who haven't seen andy in his prime this is his thing Like, don't act surprised that this is how he acts. He's a miserable, mopey chirper. (laughs) An angry dude on court. Mm -hmm. Andy, uh, of course, I believe, had reason to be angry. But at the same time, he did, he really did let it eat him up. You know, and I'm not saying that's what made him lose, but he was obsessing big time. Yes, the obsessing was clearly way too much. Mm -hmm. But folks need to listen to Andy when he says, I can prepare and prepare myself mentally for this moment that I knew was coming as much as I possibly can, but there's nothing I can do to physically prepare my body three, four hours into a five-set match to have to deal with cooling down for 10 minutes in a fifth set. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a, a detrimental effect on his body that he cannot control right but if the sport decides that that is kind of a cost of doing business if that is your conditioning failing you then that's what the sport decides but it hasn't Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like so in that so there it's within the rules it is technically in within the rules yes but players notice how other players behave right and, and players who are not related to the issue at hand know that certain players have a reputation for behaving in ways they deem unprofessional or unsporting. And so the problem here is not the, well, the problem is the rule, yes, but the problem is that certain players, Stefanos included, now come with a reputation. And so it's really difficult and possibly inhumane to say, you can't go to the bathroom. You know. That's not the issue. Obviously, <laughs> right. you can go to the bathroom. The issue is, obviously, you should make haste. Sure. Because but, it's not just no, going even, to the bathroom. Even it, conceding that there was a very good reason somebody has to be in the bathroom for that long. Maybe there is. But Stefanos has done these things so many times that you'd be very naive to give him the benefit of the doubt every time now. 
my point is, the way the rules are, you're just going to have to currently accept that these bathroom breaks are allowed mm -hmm. until they're not. Right. So right. the thing that I can focus on, just like I was talking about with Krejcikova earlier, she needs to not go to the towel and make Muguruza wait while she's serving. Like that is, right. is non-negotiable. What should also be non-negotiable is that Tsitsipas should not be coming back from the bathroom to sit on the court. Go over to the cool. Doddle, you know. wipe himself, sit down, look like he has nary a care in the world that he has just sat down for a changeover. It's been seven to ten minutes. You need to make a beeline from the bathroom to the baseline mm -hmm. to resume that match. That's where it becomes, he just, just does not give one flying fuck about the situation. No, he really doesn't. Because, I don't know what it because is Because this happened him. after after Cincinnati, right? After oh, yes. he, it's been publicly discussed in press and elsewhere that he has his reputation. So he knows, we know, Andy knows, that's why he was riled up. The whole world knows. But Stephanos, well, don't give a damn. Clearly he cannot be shamed. I mean, now his bathroom breaks before a deciding set are just tradition at this point. But there is a pattern of dishonest behavior that sometimes is at a low level, but it's there, right? It's it's tapping your racket mm -hmm. while your opponent is trying to hit. And Shabalov yep. pointed this out in a match yep. against him. It's these bathroom breaks. It's the coach his father and Patrick Maratoglu coaching him constantly throughout matches. I mean, Tsitsipas is one of the only players who is fine for coaching at this tournament. It's, uh, I mean, even something as silly and, you know, low impact as plagiarism is a symptom of dishonesty. Bad character. I'm not saying that. Loathsome behavior. I'm saying that, okay, you don't have to think this guy is a terrible dude, but it would be naive to think that these behaviors don't add up to a pattern of dishonesty. Mm. And where that goes... Is through the locker room, of where, course. as you said, they're all going to talk about it. Where the players notice, where the players talk about it. For the longest time, it was this narrative around Tsitsipas earlier in his career. Remember when he had that big run? I think it was in Canada, and then showed up in Cincinnati, and right after, and there was a big buzz around him. It was like, well, people are being mean to Stefanos. And they're not really nice to him. The, and I remember defending right? him because you know Nick was bullying him or whatever. Mm. And now I realize that Stefanos has sort of this aloofness about him, but he's never going to deflate or or sort of win the crowd back because he appears not to care. I don't know if that's the case, but that's what it appears to be. And he doesn't really seem to have a lot of self-awareness about these things. No, and he's done an incredible job of railroading his image in the last few weeks. It's, it's <laughs> wild. This Greek Adonis persona flitting through the ATP, just having swarms of fans follow him ethereally through the skies. It was this fairy tale thing with him for a while. And what that ended up being was a lot of blinders due to his whiteness and his looks, meaning a lot of benefit of the doubt that has been given to him over and over and over and over again because of who he is and what he looks like. Frankly, mm. let's be real. And so now all the sheen has come off of Stefano Tsitsipas. And I, I found for myself watching this unfold that the thing that really bugged me is that Stefanos does not give the impression or show at all that he gives a damn about other people on a tennis court. It's all about right. him. The self-centeredness is unmistakable. And in 2021, still in the middle of a pandemic, that is not something that I can allow to seep through my bandwidth. Well, oh God. I mean, this is coming shortly after the whole vaccine thing. Right? There's <laughs> that too. Which we kind of yeah. forgot about. Yeah. And so, like, this Let's is... Let's not forget that. This is not meant to be uh, an assassinate Tsitsipas' character, uh, you know, these past 10 minutes. But Andy Murray attempted to assassinate his character on live television. It was really something to behold. On live television... <laughs> And then in the press conference, and then the next two days on Twitter. Yes, now that's what really surprised me, was the next day. Because mm -hmm. Andy 
Andy is a grump, right? And that's why a lot of people, including myself, love him, or, mm-hmm. or one of the reasons. But he's, he's also a grown man. Yes, and he's also, he doesn't really, he's not somebody who picks on his colleagues. If he's asked something, he'll answer you honestly. But aside from the, uh, what's his face, the everybody hates you incident. Rasol. The Rasol incident. He's not somebody who goes after his fellow players on a personal level. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm saying... But he did in this sense. He did, and it was, for me, too much and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And a pylon and beneath him, frankly. Like, it was good for a laugh. Is like, whoa, did he really do that? And then he did it again, and it's like, okay. Like, this is entirely superfluous. You can make your point without being that snarky about it. And you, and you have already made your point. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a result of all that controversy in the Murray Tsitsipas match, everybody was on high alert for any breaks, any whiff of gamesmanship throughout the week. So some people were noticing Jensen Brooksby's costume changes. He was like Diana Ross out there some nights. He made it so easy because it was a different color shirt every time. <laughs> yes, yeah. White, red, black. <laughs> uh, obviously, Krichikova... But man, the, the fans and the broadcasters were on high alert for this stuff. There's nothing they like more than a clock to count down something. Oh my right? god. Time since the last point, the length of bathroom break clock. And if you're coming from outside of tennis, you must think this whole thing is so ridiculous. Because how can a sport, which uh, presumably is led by smart people... Presumably. Uh, pre- what a presumption. Mm-hmm. How have we not figured out how to handle this? Like, mm-hmm. if, you know, coaching is another thing. If we, this, we had a whole segment on that. We'll leave that for we'll the rap there. show. Yeah. Um, but one of our listeners, Samit, uh, the other day on Twitter suggested, well, this is such a problem all the time with these strategic breaks. Why not just institute a break, right? Like a 10-minute break before a deciding set. That's, that's an option. And that's why I say with, like with Murray, let's say you're a player who's going to be really hurt by cooling down more than others. If you enshrine a rule that may actually just become part of the sport, right? If you can't kind of handle that cooling down period, then you are at a disadvantage. But it takes away that, the tactic, it allows yeah. both players to take a break. It allows fans to go get food and everything. Because once a match starts, you know from experience, if you want anything, if you got to go to the bathroom as a spectator, you better move. And then you're going to be standing in the tunnel for a while before you're let back in. And instead of the dread of watching your opponent and waiting for the mess to happen, you are then able to look forward to maybe having bicycles on the court stationary bikes sure to say that well i'm gonna get through this fourth set i know that there's gonna be 10 minutes i will then spend those 10 minutes on the stationary bike Mm -hmm. keeping warm while i can block out whatever mess is happening on the other side of the court and then we come back and we reset because this tournament has seen more five set matches than we've seen in forever like it's crazy how many five set matches we've had the narrative doesn't always have to be our five-set matches good for tennis. It could be how can we make five-set matches better for tennis? Mm-hmm. Are we managing them the correct way? If you institute like a sort of a mandated break, as if the heat rule is in effect mm-hmm. or something, then one player doesn't have to waste all their emotional energy being pissed off at their mm-hmm. opponent right, for taking a break. And I'm not saying that's the perfect solution, but that's one, one example of a way you could address the issue. It just seems silly that that this is what we're talking about and most of the media are talking about for the first week of a slam. Something that was actually well done and uplifting and good progress in tennis was the fact that we had the most LGBTQIA plus visibility we've ever had at a Grand Slam. Yes. So we, you know, we always call out the bad, but it's really important to recognize when folks uh, just show up and do something cool. So Pride Day was this week at the U.S. Open. Tuesday. And Guido Pela came out in rainbow gear. And 
you know, it's nice to see a player do this and not have it be like image rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. He just did it to do it. Uh, I think Maximo Gonzalez was another one who did it in his doubles match. Yeah. Pam Shriver had her rainbow wristbands on court for the interviews. And a bunch of male players were asked about it and were asked uh, essentially what would happen in the ATP if someone came out. Do you feel that the tour is a safe space for uh, someone to come out as LGBTQ? Felix, Stefanos, Medvedev, they all had positive things to say. And this is part of moving the needle forward. We are now at a place now where we're not just relying on Murray we're not relying on us in Cincinnati a couple years ago asking Federer about it to get one of the really top names who have nothing to lose, presumably, to say something positive to move the needle forward. That needle has now moved. What we need to do now is to know specifically what it is that the ATP is doing to make their tour a safe space for prospective queer players. Mm -hmm. And so this is this is one way to do that. It's to break the silence because silence is so corrosive. Uh, but uh, you know, a few of these young male players said, "Well, they're you know, I don't know. There probably are gay players, and we just don't know." Mm -hmm. And so that tells me that those people are are still uncomfortable, or still scared to come out. And so the onus now is squarely on the ATP, as it is with everything. Everything. <laughs> Felix told us that there is this survey that's happened where they're trying to figure out what the climate is on the atp tour i don't know what this survey is do you know what this survey no, is so let's let's do some reporting on this and get back mm -hmm. meanwhile we know the atp has not even dared to pander to our community during pride month there has been no logo change like it is the bare minimum for organizations to do during Pride Month, and the ATP has not taken that step. Hi, gay. Happy Pride. Right? Like, the money that could be made from Pride Month merch alone in tennis, do you know how much of a hot commodity those Pride wristbands are? The Rogers Cup did it oh a God. few years ago. And they gave them out for free. Right. But the Rogers we, Cup did it mine. a few years ago, and they were selling, like, hotcakes for free. Like, people were going so back they in. they selling. They well, were. it was an, an expression. <laughs> People were going back in like, hey, I'm, I came out again. I'm gay again. I'm double gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get both wristbands. <laughs> we have a lot of disposable income. Well, not us. But a lot of gay people have disposable yes. income. Uh, and that's an untapped market. That's, an, that's a sinister way to look at it. But it's a fact. And the mm. fact that the If ATP, you need the profit motive to drive you to this, uh, fine. Fine. I'll take it. But I found it curious that some of these players talked about stuff that the ATP was doing behind the scenes that we just don't really know about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. so, so let us uh, know about it. So let's keep our eyes peeled. Maybe we'll do some digging in the background. Mm -hmm. Sloan only won two matches this week, but she was a star of the first week. She Honestly, she was one of the best, most heartwarming stories about the first week of this tournament. Her draw was absolutely wild playing her close friend madison in the first round then having to play coco goff who was somebody who's looked up to her they practiced together many years ago when coco was like 12 or 13 years old their families have been in this orbit mm. kind of together for a while and to turn out just a boss ass performance against coco the, that was incredible the match against coco was a supreme because it reminded everybody watching Oh, right. This is why she won the U.S. Mm. Open. The forehand is, I said on uh, on Twitter that it's sexual. It oh, is, let's, let's talk more about that. It is that. damn near erotic. Talk more about that. It is... How did it titillate? <laughs> As Lin-Manuel Miranda watches Brooksby with two set points up 5-1, 40-15 on Novak Djokovic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, back to women's tennis. Sorry. Um, that was very off-brand of me just there. The commentators always used to talk about Sloan as having easy power, mm -hmm. right? And even though it got to be a cliche, you understood what it meant because Sloan could be in a point and you think she's sort of like loop-de-looping you and, and sort of stringing you. We've that's said that a lot. Yeah, that's what it is. Rope-a-dope. And then the forehand will just sort of 
unleash and explode and the point is over and that's what she was doing against coco her movement was impeccable it just seemed like everything about sloan's game had just been upped by a lot and then she was wearing that kit i i said from the beginning i love the nike kit i know that the sort of cheerleader mm-hmm. wrap dress thing is polarizing i'm a huge fan i thought simona looked very cute in the yellow version I liked Sloane's version. I did not like the Riverdale version. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Oh, oh God. You mean that pleated cheerleader skirt? No, I'm talking about the the yellow one. Oh. Oh, no, I think it's yellow and blue. With the high waist, like the empire waist kind of look. Gold and blue. No, I did not like the orange one. Oh, see, I thought Simona pulled it off. Um, Sloane, she wore that blue, uh, dark blue and dark green dress during the day, and it didn't really pop for me. In, the, in like the bright daylight sun. Mm. At night, it looked amazing. I mean, she's gorgeous. Like, she's going to pull it off regardless. But it it just looked beautiful. So I was, uh, I was definitely a little bummed that Sloan lost in the third round to Kerber. But uh, this draw was really, really tough. But aside from being sort of rejuvenated on court, she released this kind of essay blog post the night of the hurricane that talked about just a lot of frustrations about sort of being alive at this time in history. Mm -hmm. You know, she talked about how she engages in all these self-care practices and shares them. And at some point it's like, well, why am I still feeling this way? And it's because there's just a lot of fucked up stuff to deal with right now. And uh, it's, it's like not things that we're prepared to understand through, I don't know, through taking care of yourself, through eating right, to exercising. Like, when these problems are structural, you can only do so many things to help yourself. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. I I was really pleased that she shared that. Something else that happened in week one was an almighty storm. What we thought was going to be the remnants of Hurricane Ida turned out to be very much actual Hurricane like, Ida. If that's just the remnants of the hurricane, oh my lord. I mean, I grew up with hurricanes. <laughs> right, I, right. I've never seen one, so... Uh... <laughs> um, I mean, it's been it's been decades since I've been in a hurricane, but that was... That was just crazy. Yeah. And the fact that the US Open saw this on the radar, saw this was happening, it wasn't like, well, you know, we might just try and hold out hope. Look outside. And tell people to go home. Cancel your matches. Right. Because, Before it gets worse. Because it's if you see the radar, it's going to last quite a while. Uh-huh. And the New York City subway system was literally flooded. Yeah. The streets were flooded. I, I Ra- mean, rats were having spa days in oh, the New York City subway oh, system. God. Swimming around. Doing somersaults. Synchronized swimming in the subway station. Mm-hmm. Like, it will... Uh, like, we knew people who were on site that night, and we're just thankful they got home safely. Yeah, I mean, I think the subway system shut down for the most part. And from there, you have Long Island Railroad or Ubers or cabs. And, I mean, you heard reports of people taking three, four hours to get from the eastern part of Queens to Manhattan. It just it didn't seem safe to be holding the matches that night. As usual with this type of episode, there are a few things that we will save in our bag. We will leave them for a rap show. We're going to talk about player vaccinations. We're going to talk about on-court coaching and the current incessant state of that. (laughs) But for now, we're going to end our episode with a couple of plugs. We are now on Amazon Music, and thus you can listen to us on Audible if you choose. We also have hats, baseball hats, and quote-unquote dad hats with body serve yeah. logos on them. So in case you were wondering, so Redbubble makes these categories. A dad hat is like the soft uh, top, so it like molds to your head. Mm-hmm. And the baseball cap is like a flat front, right? Uh, it has a more rigid dome. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the young people wear these mm-hmm. days, you know? So previously, Redbubble was not producing headwear. They weren't doing hats. Now we have six different 
style, no, not styles. We have six different branded hats with the Body Surf stuff on it. Some of it just the logo, some of it with words on it with a logo. Check it out. And fortunately, a nice bit of synergy here with us having these branded hats now. Redbubble is now offering 20% off site-wide. So you can have any mm-hmm. Body Serve piece of merchandise. So that's our stickers, tote bags, change purse, mugs, t-shirts, tank top, all that stuff. For 20% off, if you use the promo code SHOPTEMBER, S-H-O-P-T-E-M-B-E-R. Quite the not-so-clever pun on September. But you're, you're really going to shade a coupon code? <laughs> Anyway, September is the month of my and Beyonce and Serena Williams, even though she doesn't celebrate, birthday. And a whole bunch of tennis Twitter folks. Like, it's a very popular yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And if you know B-Day, you know 9481. That's Beyonce's 40th birthday. And for you, it's 9762. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> I am younger than Beyonce. Not by a whole lot, but I am younger. We hope you get through the second week of this tournament, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally intact. We are The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Go to redbubble.com. Just search The Body Serve. You'll find our stuff. Remember, shop Timber for 20% off. Thanks to all the folks who've given us reviews over the last few weeks. Those are so appreciated and again a reminder that that's one of the tangible ways for free just a little bit of your time that you can help raise the profile of the show thanks for listening till next time thank you thank you very much